I'm going to start right off with some scripture. Uh, this is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 6. Isaiah was a prophet of God. God showed him uh, visions uh, of what was to come. God told him things uh, that he should bring back to the nation of Israel. And at the beginning of chapter 6, uh, it starts a real long uh, vision, but I'm just going to look at the first few verses of it. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty and the whole earth is full of his glory. That's what we're going to talk about today is the glory of God. Um, before I get there, though, uh, I sometimes wish I was like Steven Seagal. Not the guy, the Steven Seagal guy, because I'm not sure his life is all that is great to be desired. But, but the characters that he plays, and not only because uh, he can disarm 15 guys that are all coming at him with his bare hands, uh, and they have weapons. Not only because he can do that, but also and mainly because he is so aware of his surroundings. He knows exactly what everything, every, where everyone is and what's going on, right? Every room that he walks into, he assumes that he's going to be attacked in that room. And that, so he needs to know where everything he could pick up to use as a weapon is, and where every escape is, where, what everyone is doing. And most of the time in his movies, he's right. He is going to be attacked in that room, so he did need that knowledge. But it's that idea of being just so aware of your surroundings. Now, I don't really hope to ever live in a place where I'm going to get attacked in every room that I go into. What I'm talking about is I want to be aware of my spiritual surroundings in that kind of way. I wish, I always have wished that every room I walked into, I was aware of the glory of God. I was aware of what was happening spiritually. I was aware of what was going on in people's hearts, in people's lives, what they were dealing with, what they were struggling with maybe, what help they needed. I, I just wish that I could look out and see what God is doing in this kind of bigger, deeper way. And the seraphs say, glory, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. The whole earth is filled with his glory. <laughs> That's, I want to be able to see that. We're going to talk about glory. And so it's kind of an odd word, right? We know it as a church word, but we don't... I mean, try to defi- define it. What is glory? What is, what is God's glory? So here's uh, uh, some definition on a slide from uh, a Hebrew-Greek dictionary. Uh, and it says that glory is about abundance. The whole earth is filled with God's abundance. Uh, riches. The whole earth is filled with his riches. Reputation. This gets at it a little bit too. What, what, the whole earth is filled with his sort of, uh, presence or reputation or who he is. Honor. But now I, now we get to some definitions that I just love to think about. The whole earth is filled with his density, his heaviness, his real presence. There's a heaviness to the glory of God. There's a density to it. There's a fullness to it. 
You might be aware that C.S. Lewis wrote a book that was called um, The Weight of Glory. The Weight of Glory. And, and C.S. Lewis explores this idea of this sort of density of God filling the whole earth. And I have a, a couple of quotes from C.S. Lewis coming up later. The whole earth is filled with his glory, his density, his weight, his presence. So uh, we're in a story series, storytelling series, and I broke the rules a little bit. And when I told uh, the group this morning that Dave Bartlett's first response was, of course you did. So I broke the rules a little bit in that I don't I didn't pick a single story that I'm going to talk about and and, uh, come up with something. I picked little piece out of four stories. Uh, And the reason I did that is because I think this little piece out of four stories itself tells a story. There's a story about the glory of God that that goes throughout the scriptures. Uh, And so I'm going to look at these little bits. First of all, uh, in Exodus, you know, the book of Exodus is about uh, the Exodus, right? Israelites going through. And we've talked a lot, I have talked a lot about Exodus and how uh, partway through the book, then God starts telling them, you know what, build me a tent and I'm going to live there. I've talked a lot about that. So in the, at the very end, the very last chapter of Exodus, the tent is done. All the appointments, all the things that are supposed to go into the tent are, have been finished, have been collected, have been made by the craftsmen. And now uh, um, they say, okay, the tent's here. What's going to happen? And then God comes in Exodus 40, chapter 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory, the chabod. I didn't even say it. It was on the last slide, though. The, the, the word there for glory is chabod. The glory, the chabod of God uh, uh, filled the tabernacle. The glory of God filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled upon it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The density, the weight, the presence of God was so full inside the tabernacle that Moses couldn't get in there to do his work. He he knew he wasn't worthy to be there. He knew he couldn't sort of fit in there with God. The glory of God filled the tabernacle and Moses couldn't do his work. And then it goes on and tells a little interesting tidbit in all the travels uh, of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from the tabernacle, they would set out. But the cl- if the cloud did not lift, they would not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day and fire was in the cloud by night in the sight of all the house of Israel and their, all their travels. So here's the picture. Just picture it in your mind. There's the tent sitting there, the tent of meeting. And above it is a cloud. And inside the cloud is flame. And, and they could look and they could see God, sort of, right? They could see, I know the presence of God is inside that tabernacle. And a sign of the presence of God is this cloud and then this flame that's, that's over, the, over the top of the tabernacle. And, and the glory of God was inside there, filling the tabernacle. And they knew it and they could look at it and they could say, I know that the glory of God, the weight of God, the density, the riches of God are right here with us. And so we have confidence to move forward in our quest. So, you know, Israel goes uh, and, they, and they actually start g- taking over the land. And in order to take over the land, there was lots of fights, lots of battles. They seemed like they were constantly at war for a while there, right? Uh, and, and during one of these periods, um, they were at war and, and there's a, uh, a priest, a prophet, Eli. And Eli was kind of getting on in age. And, and all of Israel, except Eli because he was too old, was out fighting against the Philistines. And, and they were losing. They weren't doing so good. And so someone has a bright idea. And by bright, I mean incredibly stupid idea, which was, let's go get 
the Ark of the Covenant, the place where God is, the density, the weight, the God's glory. Let's go get that and we'll bring it to the fight with us. And certainly, because it's so powerful, uh, it will defeat the Philistines. And so they do. They go and they get the tabernacle, not the whole tabernacle, just the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant, and they bring it out to the battle. And the Philistines actually get super scared about this. They're like, wait a second, they brought a god to war. That's kind of no fair. We're going to die. But sort of in, in uh, the movie 300 style, they're like, mm, we're going to go forward. Anyway, even if we die, we're going to charge in and we're going to try it and, 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 and uh, death be whatever. So, so the Philistines charge in and, and they win. And they, it says they killed 70,000 Israelites that day. And not only did they do that, they took the Ark of the Covenant with them. We got God, right? We captured God. And so they take God with them. Okay? Now, uh, a scout comes running back and he goes and he tells Eli, Eli, bad news. This ark thing didn't work out very well. 70,000 men were killed, including your two sons. And worse news, they got God. Eli falls off his chair and breaks his neck and dies. Bad news. So the scouts go to Eli's daughter-in-law, the, the wife of one of these sons that just died. They tell her, bad news. 70,000 men died. One of them was your brother-in-law. One of them was your husband. And then, worse news, your father-in-law died when he heard about the news. And then, bad news too, God was captured. And this woman... Uh, who's pregnant, by the way. This story is, is tragic, right? This woman who's pregnant, hears all this bad news, starts giving birth, gives birth to a baby. She's now dying because of the experience. And here's what she says. She named the boy Ichabod, Ichabod, saying the glory has departed from Israel because of the capture of the ark of God and the deaths of the father of her father-in-law and her husband. She said, the glory of God has departed from Israel. For the Ark of the Covenant has been captured. First of all, there's a little bit of humor there. She names her kid, no glory. i no glory. Come on. You're not going to elementary school with the name no glory, are you? But, but what I'm trying to say is, after all of this, her husband dies, her brother-in-law dies, her father dies, God is captured. She summarizes the, the, the badness of the day by saying, the glory of God has left us. That's the tragic part of today. The glory of God has left us. I used to know that God was with us. I used to understand the density, the weight, the fullness of God was with us. And now he's not here anymore. This is a bad, bad day. Okay, so (laughs) it doesn't turn out very well with people who steal God. Uh, God God doesn't like that. And it's a funny story for you to read on your own. Um, uh, It's in... in, uh, it's in Samuel, and they steal the God, and that, and, and that doesn't work out. So they actually send him back on a donkey, like, take your God back, please. Uh, so we have God again, good news. Now, Samuel, in my next story, Samuel, uh, much later, Israel's been at peace, things are great, and Samuel says, you know what, things are finally so good, we're so at peace, I have got to finally build a real house for God. He can't live in this tent anymore. So we're going to build him in a magnificent temple. So he does. He sets out and he builds this huge temple. Uh, it's, it's, it's all appointed with gold. It's, it's amazing, right? Uh, and again, we get to the same exact scene that we were at the end of Exodus. The thing is built. And now what? What's going to happen? Solomon, in a way, he doesn't even know. If you look back, his prayer is kind of like, 
God, I don't get it really. You're so big. You're so dense. You're so enormous. How are you possibly going to fit into the temple that I built, even though I built it uh, with extravagance? Don't worry about that. Second Chronicles chapter 7. When Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory, the chabod of the Lord, filled the temple. And the priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of God had filled it. Does it sound familiar? This is exactly the same scene, isn't it? Exactly the same thing is happening. Fire comes down and it fills the temple and the priests can't do their work because the temple is full of the density, the weight, the power of God. And when all the Israelites saw the fire coming down, another thing that's exactly the same is other people see it, right? The people who are sort of outside of the temple see this thing happening. And when the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory, the chabot of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground and they worshipped and they gave thanks to the Lord saying, He is good and His love endures forever. Are you singing the song in your head right now? Because you're going to be singing it with your lips in a little bit where the, the first song after this is going to be that song, right? He is good and his love endures forever. And, when the, and it's the, the song is the story of this exact event. The fire comes down and consumes the sacrifices and fills the temple. And it's so dense they can't do their work and they see it and they say, he is good. Okay, fourth story. Now we're in Acts. We're in the New Testament. Jesus uh, uh, has died. He's risen again. Uh, and he says to his followers, followers, go to Jerusalem and just hang out there and wait because something is going to happen. So just hang out there and wait. And it says in Acts 2, verse 2, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. They were up in this room because they were waiting. They were doing just as Jesus said. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place and suddenly the sound like that of a a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Same scene, right? Same scene out of another story. A wind comes down and violently fills the whole place. And what they saw seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them above the temple, right? Right? There's a temple and there's a flame of fire above it in the tabernacle. There's a temple and there's a flame of fire above it in the temple. And now in the Pentecost, there's a temple and there's a flame of fire above it, right? So, uh, came to rest on each of them and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And then they go outside and people see it. And people, some people say they're drunk, (laughs) but other people say, no, no, no. It's the glory of God. The glory of God has come to rest on top of a new temple. These guys, these people. And then those guys, those people start spreading the word, start expanding. And the book of Acts is just like, it expands by this many thousand and this many thousand and this many thousand. And the glory of God who is filling them spreads across the whole earth. And the seraphs are right. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. For the glory, the chabot of God fills the entire earth. All right. So I got excited about that. But what? But what? What do you do with a God whose glory fills the whole earth? Well, there's three things that I think about. That I... Uh, sort of ponder as I think about the glory of God filling the whole earth. And as I sit and, and I think, I wish I could see that. I wish I could know what that was like. 
there's three things that I think about. Uh, one of them, uh, and all three of them actually are things that C.S. Lewis uh, refers to. One of them is that we are lightweights. We are lightweights. God is dense. God is heavy. God is, uh, is, is something of substance. And we aren't. We are lightweights. One of, one of his books, uh, one of C.S. Lewis's books, The Great Divorce. Anybody read it? It's a, it's a story. It's a fictional tale of a guy who goes to heaven. And he gets there and his first day, he kind of walks in to the, to the foothills of heaven. Heaven's far off because he can't handle the real heaven. He walks to the foothills of heaven and for the first time realizes he's a ghost. He's nothing. He's made of no substance. He steps on the grass and the grass doesn't even move at all. In fact, the grass kind of hurts him. It, it cuts into his feet. And it's dawning on him, wait a second. I'm a lightweight. I've got no substance. I've got nothing to me. Even though he was a follower of Christ, he just, he just didn't get the heaviness, the density that was available to him. And so he never matured into a dense being. And fortunately, he gets a mentor that comes to him and says, it's going to be okay. You're going to get more and more dense. You're going to actually become who you should become. Uh, we are lightweights. Here's a quote from C.S. Lewis from a, a different book. This book is The Weight of Glory. C.S. Lewis quotes, by the way, you just have to hang on to <laughs> because they're so complicated. This one I think I actually have on a slide. If we consider the unblushing promises of reward promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are all half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea, we are far too easily pleased. <laughs> right. Okay, I don't, really, I don't have much to add to that. We are far too easily pleased. We mess around with lightweight things. We, we get so involved, so in, intrigued with lightweight things. I love to look right now. This is just right now, and it changes all, every month. I love to look at kayaks. I, I just kind of think about, oh, if I had a longer kayak, it would be so great. I'd be so smooth in the water. I'd be going straight. Da, 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 right? I look at kayaks. It's a lightweight thing. Well, yeah, a lightweight kayak would be awesome, actually. No. It's not a thing of substance, right? It's not a thing that's increasing my density. And C.S. Lewis is not saying kayaks are bad. He's just saying we get just so attached to that stuff. We, we fill our lives with that kind of lightweight stuff. When the glory of God is dense and available. Okay, so number two. We often substitute a shadow of the real thing for the real thing. Okay, so this, what happens here is, we, so, we say, okay... I'm not going to be into lightweight things. I'm going to be into something more dense. And so we, we start a quest or we start looking for things that are of real beauty, things that, are, things that are actually of God. We go out to nature and we say, nature is something that is of God that can actually bring me into the density of God. Classical music, jazz music, any kind of music actually, live music is something that we go to. Literature, good literature we go to and we say, this is something that's going to bring me some density. Sure it is. But C.S. Lewis says, guess what? There's even a problem there. Because those things have actual beauty, but they are only the beauty that was given to them by the real beauty, the real truth. And that we, we still stop short. We go to those things and we say, I'm looking for real beauty. I'm looking for real truth. And then we find it in a piece of music or in a book. 
And we say, I found it. And he says, no, 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 no. You found a shadow of it. Don't get too involved in that. Make sure you're looking at what caused the beauty in the first place. Here's a part of a quote there. The books or the music in which we thought beauty was located will betray us if we trust them. It was not in them. It only came through them. And what came through them was longing. For they are not the thing itself. They are only the scent of the flower we have not found. The echo of a tune we have not heard. News from a country we've never yet visited. (laughs) He's got such great pictures. They are the scent of a flower we've not found. They're echo of a song we've not heard. They're news from a country we've never visited. Right? They're just, just, just out of our reach. And the third thing is that as I start longing for this density, for this realness, for this, for this thing that's true, another thing that can happen to me is I can start attaching to things that don't know me back. That music, that book, that, 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 uh, that, that, that concert, that play, that opera is something that, uh, doesn't know me back. I can appreciate it all I want. But what I'm really after is for that density to know me. Right? That's what I'm after. That's what's going to actually satisfy me. Another C.S. Lewis quote. We sometimes appreciate nature or music or literature, but then it goes away. And we return to ourselves. How true is that? You come out of a movie that you thought was great and for a little while you have this odd feeling, right? Like you're living in, this, in the movie, you actually expect people to run in and start tr- shooting at you or whatever kind of movie you go to or, or that handsome man to come fall in love with you or whatever kind of mu- movie you like or you come out of an opera, right? And you're like, oh, right? You're just for a little while and then it just fades away and you're back to yourself. Uh... Sometimes feeling that we are witnesses to something, but it was not a witness to us. It didn't know we were even there. Our lives are still here. But God is not like that. The density of of God, the glory of God is not like that. The glory of God is actually something beautiful that can know you back. Not only can, wants to, desires to, has already does. And is kind of waiting for you to enter into that relationship. Psalm 139, very famous. Oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is off my tongue, you know it completely. First John 4, we know that we live in him and that he lives in us because he has given us his spirit, a thing that we can know and can know us. I added that last phrase, by the way. That wasn't scripture in case you're confused. So I found this in my notes from 2005. This is my final challenge to you. It says, breathe in the Spirit. Don't call in Him into a situation where He wasn't. Rather, call yourself out to where He always is. Find the Spirit. Find the density of God. And move towards it. Look for it. And as you're looking... Be aware that things that that are shadows of it, that are reflections of it, true beauty and truth are great things to go towards. They're great signposts of where he is. But don't stop there. Continue till you find the density of God who can then live inside of you as a temple and who can can fill you, who can, as John would say, then cause streams of living water to flow out of you. The glory of God is a dense and real thing that we are all longing for. 
I'm going to pray. Father God, I, I, I love these. I love these stories. These stories which you show us uh, in advance what it's going to be like and then in Acts what it is like. That the glory, the chabod, the density, the weight, the, 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 the riches of God somehow mysteriously, even though they're too big, can live inside of a temple. And I pray that we make room available inside of ourselves. That we become indwelt by the Spirit. And that that indwelling is so dense and so heavy that maybe it pushes us out to the point where we can't do our work. We can't be distracted by other things. It's just you. Now I pray that as we sing these songs uh, about your glory coming into the temple, about your holiness, that we are attracted to and can find your real presence. Amen.